Well, the Lord has given another week to be able to spend with you, and I praise him for that, and I thank him, because he is the one who gives life, and he's the one who extends it. And uh, we want to just keep glorifying the Lord. As long as we have breath, we want to praise him, worship him, and glorify him. And again, I praise God that uh, you're here and that you're ready to listen and to learn and to hear. And not so much of what Pastor Brown will say, but what the Holy Spirit will say. And I pray that you might just truly be blessed by what is said. And I hope that you open your Bible with us. Um, Not good just to accept a man's word on what he is saying. But you're able to see the Word of God for yourself. And allow the Holy Spirit, as you read it for yourself, to give you insight and to teach you about that verse. Teaching not so much for me, or from any other teacher who really teaches, or we're only instruments. But it's the Holy Spirit who will really point out and speak to your heart over the things that he really wants you to hear and to know. So uh, let's get started. Let's have a word of prayer. Give him thanks and praise for his word and for his covenant that he's brought us into. Father, we want to thank you and praise you. That Lord, that you came down to us because we certainly could not go up to you. And we're so thankful, oh God, that you continue to minister to us, to grow us up, to raise us up in the things of your word. And we pray, Father, that as we hear your word, that they would encourage our hearts and that they would bring us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And that your word, O God, would teach us how to live righteously before you and to live holy and to understand, Lord, you've called us to be holy because you're holy. And Lord, you're the one that has to perfect that in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that there's a difference between the holiness and righteousness. For out of your holiness comes your justice and righteousness. And Lord, we are clothed in righteousness by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not our own, it's his. And we are also learning, Lord, how to do what is right which sometimes, Lord, can be a difficult thing for us. So would you continue to work in us and allow us, Lord, to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you allow us, Lord, that privilege to have the mind of Christ? And, Lord, continue to work in us. We are your people, called by the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to live uprightly with you and with one another. Now open your word to us and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're still in that area of the covenant. And last week we was in some of the areas that where God obligated himself to be our God. No one made him to be our God or forced him to be our God. He chose to be our God. 
And he took on the responsibility of being God in our lives. And that means caring for us, correcting us, teaching us, forgiving us of our sins, and allowing us to learn how to live with him. And that's an amazing thing, that God would come down here from heaven and teach us. He descended to the earth. Because we definitely could not have went up to heaven. So God chose to come down and to teach us and to prepare us for where he lives. That one day we will live with him in the heavenlies. Now, I know some of you may not accept that. Some of you won't even accept the personhood of God. But it's true. God is preparing those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's preparing us to live with him. One of the things about the covenant is simply this. It really shows that God desired to live with his people. God didn't have to make a covenant with us. He could just again destroyed all humanity. But he made a covenant with man. And he came from heaven. He's the one who descended from heaven to earth. And he tabernacled with us. He was here with us. And God did that. He made that choice. And he continues to do that. He wants to be present. And like Israel, one of the worst things that we may have done is that we have somehow taught ourselves not to be aware of the presence of God. Yet, He is very much so present, but we haven't learned to look for him, to hear him, to see what he does. I just tell you a little word that many of us use that, to me, is not real, and that's the word luck. There's no such thing as you were lucky and and something just missed you, no? That was in God's ordained plan. It was not your ordained time to be absent from the body or present with the Lord. It is God's mercy working in your life, whether you're recognizing it or not. But God wants us to realize his presence because he wants to be with us and we will Accept that and be willing to receive him as our Lord and Savior. Now, he is the God of the believer and the unbeliever. For all humanity will bow before him. All humanity will confess him as Lord of Lord and King of Kings. 
for he is the God of the righteous and the unrighteous. The difference is that the righteous acknowledge him, the unrighteous do not. But that does not take away from his desire to tabernacle with us, to be present with us. And that's one of the obligations that God has placed upon himself, that those who will believe in him, he would be with them. And his promise is he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Why don't you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and verse 20. I want you to catch this. He says, do you not know? He's asking the question here. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That your body is a temple of God, the Holy Spirit. As God would come down in a cloud at the Ten of Meetings, at the tabernacle in the Old Testament, and there he would meet with the people, here he says, he lives in us. He calls my body a temple. A temple is a place where normally the deities would sit, those who had been called God would sit. It was a designated place for the divine. And he says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Where? In you. God the Holy Spirit indwells us as believers that we might learn of him and we might have the ability to communicate with our Heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit. And he says, the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Where do you come from? From God. He is God. And and don't have time to go through the Trinity. And, but here is that triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God the Son now sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And this is the time of the Holy Spirit in which he now dwells in us and makes intercession for us, and he teaches us. He convicts us of our sins, and he prays for us. He lives in the believer, and that's the presence of God. He's the one who makes us very much aware of the presence of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse, you are not your own in verse 19, but in 20 he says, you were bought at a price. Therefore honor God with your body or with your temple. A temple was a place where you always honored the divine being. 
is in the temple where you honored God. And he says, you're his temple. Honor him. Show a high respect for him. Glorify him in your body. And that's all part of the covenant that God says he'll be present with us. And he is in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now turn over first Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. But you go to verses nine and ten with me. Listen because it's very much the words of the Old Testament now being said in the New Testament. He says, But you are a chosen people. Believers, those in Christ Jesus, you are a chosen people. You are a people of God. Now, somebody's going to get to the thing. Well, each one of us has been chosen in a sense, yes, but not in the sense that sometimes I hear people teach it. Because God made it possible for you to receive the Lord Jesus Christ by your acceptance of him and upon your confession of him and repenting of your sin. Yes, you were chosen because God laid out these criteria for whoever will. And that is those individuals who will then follow him. He laid them out. And if you're willing to repent of your sins and confess the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life and turn from your wicked ways, God will save you to the uttermost. For as many who have chosen to come unto him, in no way will he cast out. In no way. But he receives all who comes unto him. He says, but you are a chosen people. In First Corinthians, I'm sorry, in First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. You've heard that before in the Old Testament. Now we're being called, those saints of today, those believers in the New Testament, are being called a royal priesthood. And he says a holy nation. A people belonging to God. Who do you belong to? If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you belong to God. For you've been purchased by his blood. And you belong to the living God. That you may declare the praises of him. What's the purpose? That you might do what? Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. What did he do? He called you out of darkness. And he's still calling many other people out of their despair, out of their darkness, out of their worldliness, to become a royal priesthood, to become a holy nation. 
to become a people who belong to God. He's still doing it. And he took on that obligation to do that with us. Didn't have to, but he took it on. So in chapter 1 and in verse 18, he even shared a little more with us. He simply says, get these eyes focused here. He says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. Now catch verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ. Now this how uh, what he's called a lamb without blemish or defect. The Old Testament sacrifice had to be what? A lamb without blemish or defect. Couldn't be a lame. Couldn't be one who who was blind. Uh, couldn't be one who was scarred up. But a perfect lamb. Without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed to these but was re- was revealed in these last times for your sake. God reveals himself in these latter days. He's revealing himself to those who believe in him. Because the covenant says... God wants to be with his people. God really wants to be with you. He wants you to be aware of his presence. He wants you to be aware that he wants to be involved in your life. He won't force his way in. He's not going to kick down your door. He's not going to make you do something against your will. But when you love him, you surrender the will. Is that song that says, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your ways. I'll say yes, Lord, yes. And that's a, a heart cry. Not just some words written on a paper, but something that becomes a part of a believer's life to say yes to the will of God and also to the ways of God. And how God is going to have your function. There you're going to experience the very presence of God. When you're doing his will. His presence becomes very, very real to you. And you need to be able to understand many of the things that God will ask you to do. That comes from the spirit. You could not do them without his presence. For he is the one who enables us through the power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christ life. He makes these promises to us and he is the God, as James says in one seventeen, the God that changes not. He's going to fulfill 
every part of his word because his word is his covenant. Now, there's that whole area that we want to look at over in Hebrews also. Just turn back a few pages from Peter in Hebrews chapter 8. <clears throat> Why don't you pick up in verse 7 with me. He makes this statement for if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, he's referring now to the Old Testament. The very first covenant. He said, if there had been nothing wrong with it, no place would have been sought for another. If the old covenant would have been able to fulfill what God truly desired, it would not have need of the second covenant. But the first covenant was to only bring man to a place of understanding that he was sinful and that he was the individual who broke God's word and would not live by it. And the first covenant had not the ability to save man, but to only show man his sin. In Galatians it says that the Old Testament was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, the one who is able to save us. So that first covenant was not sufficient in a sense. He says no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said. He found fault with who? Not with his word. The fault was the people. People who would not keep a covenant with him. And that's again why we have those conditional and unconditional covenants. And that unconditional covenant, you're not even involved. God's going to do it. That conditional, you're going to find that if and that but in there. Because there's something that now you must do also, or we must do also. And he says, but God found fault with the people and said, the time is coming, declares the Lord. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God 
and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor. Why? We have a teacher, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to teach every believer. Yes, we teach each other, but the real teacher is the Holy Spirit. Even now, the real teacher who is really speaking to you, not Gus Brown, but the Holy Spirit. And if you're following along in your word, I may be saying something, but the Holy Spirit may stop you and say something that will grab you right now. And you'll hear him, and he'll teach you, and you won't forget it. And he says, I will put my law in their minds. God's going to deal with what? Our minds. For as a man thinketh, so is he. Where are you educated at? In the mind. This brain, you put it to work. And he says, and I will write them on their hearts. Because out of the heart comes the issues of life. And we need to know how to deal with life. And the things of life on an everyday basis. And God says, I'm going to deal with you daily. And you're my temple. And I made you a promise. That he who has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ. And he's going to do that. And he says, I will put my law on their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. Look at the responsibility God takes. God says, I will be their God. Those who will believe, those who will accept, those who step into a covenant with him, he says, I'll be their God. You'll never be put to shame because of God's word. And he says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. He accepts us as his what? As his people. Even though there's much work to be done in each one of our lives. Oh, there's a lot of work to be done in my life. I can't begin to explain to you. Even at this age of 75, uh, there's a lot more work to be done in the life of Gus Brown. As Paul says, I have not yet arrived a long way from being what I know God wants me to be and what I am. But I'm on the road. I'm pressing on. I'm pushing forward. And I pray that you're doing likewise. That you're pressing on. You're pushing forward. Knowing that you have not yet arrived. But you're still learning. You're still wanting to be taught by the Holy Spirit. You still want to be a covenant-keeping Christian. You want to be someone who will not only be called the righteous, but that you live righteously before God and man. And that you understand what it is to be separated from this world and to be made holy as God is holy. For God says, be holy as I am holy. 
And he goes on and he says, No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. How will that take place? Through the power of the Holy Spirit being that teacher and convicting them of their sin. From the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God does a work because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He forgives us of our sins. He doesn't bring it back up to us. Now he starts to educate us in those things of God. Through his word, he teaches me how to live on this earthly plane with man, but more important, with him, as I recognize his presence with me. He's teaching. And catch, if you would please, verse 13. By calling his covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. So, I'm not saying you don't keep the Ten Commandments because they're good commandments. But understand this, the Ten Commandments will not save you. The Ten Commandments are good to know because they're going to teach you how to serve God and how to deal with your neighbor, with man. They're not something you just throw out and disregard because they are further taught in the New Testament of how you should treat your neighbor. And how you should worship God. And he says, by calling the covenant new, and that's when Christ comes. And Christ tells us that there's a new covenant. Turn to Matthew with me, if you would, please. Uh, Matthew 26. And... Let's get into, I think it's around verse 28. I want to get to, get these eyes focused here again. I'm going to have to wind up getting me a bigger Bible eventually. 28. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. And He shares that with us in that verse 28 of Matthew. This is my blood of the, what kind of covenant? New covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. And we need to hear him as he says it over and over again about this covenant. And he says it again in Mark 14. And when he says it and he's at the Lord's Supper and he's sharing with the men about the bread and, and, and the cup. And in verse 24 in Mark 14, uh, he says it again. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. The new covenant, not the old covenant. But Jesus says, here's a new covenant. 
And he calls it a new covenant, a covenant new. He has made the first obsolete. It's not that the Old Testament is not to be understood, for it is written for our learning. And we need to acknowledge and learn from it. But don't make the same mistakes that Israel did. And we need to understand that. Don't make the same mistakes that Israel did. And one of the mistakes that Israel made was simply this. Not acknowledging or recognizing the presence of God. And one of the things about the covenant, it really brings out God's presence and his working with his people. And so in that verse 13, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. Not man made it obsolete. God did. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have any meaning in my life. Oh, the Old Testament is rich. Proverbs is rich in learning. Psalms is rich in learning. Learning from the prophets, their failures, their mistakes. Learning and from them how God dealt with men who were not always faithful. It teaches us much. So he's not saying throw it out. But I'm not judged over the Old Testament, whether if I will be saved or not. I'm judged from the New Testament under what do I do with Jesus. That's what's important. What are you doing with Jesus? Are you really allowing Jesus to be part of your life? And have you accepted him as Lord and Savior? That's what's important. And you need to understand that. Now, look with me in Philippians 4.19. And I, and I think we'll see something with God has promised, that he does keep his promise with this. And we need to hear this. In 4.19 he says, And my God will meet all your needs. Do you see the responsibility God's taking on? Yes, Paul is saying this as he writes to the church of Philippi. But what I want you to understand is this. Paul wouldn't be saying this if this was not what God was committed to do. And he says, and my God will meet all your needs. According, now here's the thing that many of us leave out. According to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God is going to meet all of our needs. This is part of the new covenant in which Christ shared his blood for. And he introduced but the catch here is this. God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus in your life. Or is Christ really meaningful to you? Is Christ a real important part of your life? He, he says Christ has to be rich 
in an individual's life for God to meet all your needs. There has to be a richness of Christ in you that God sees. Part of the New Testament covenant that God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think of him based on how Christ Jesus is glorified in your life and how you place Christ in your life. Is he first, second, third? Is he further down the line? Or is he preeminent? That's amazing. Because here is something that you can put into action in your own life. And see how God responds. To see if God will really keep his word and provide for you. I'm not talking about giving you the biggest car, giving you the biggest house, giving you a fat bank roll. I'm not talking about that. But providing you with what is needed for everyday life. Whether it be strength for work. Whether it be health to raise the family. Whether it be wisdom that comes from above, whether it be knowledge that you, boy, may have never thought you had, but somehow God provides. And that's what the promise is. God will provide what is needed to make you and I successful Christians that glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Israel history, and believe history is explained basically with one principle here. And we need to really catch this because oftentimes we just look at Israel being the chosen people of God. But what does that really mean? God regards not so much Israel. Yes, he raised up Israel. Israel was not in existence and then God chose Israel. God raised up Israel from that seed of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob. And then he named Jacob Israel. And out of those 12 children of Jacob, Israel was formed, the 12 tribes. And all of those women who had those children were not all from the same family that Abraham came from. Some of them were slave women who had children with Jacob. Some of them were maid servants to the, the wives. So these children were his children, yes. But they were all not from his family tree, per se. But yet they formed the tribe of Israel. So oftentimes when we read the word Jacob in the Old Testament, it is referring to Israel. 
you have to stay in the context in order to really see that it is referring to Israel, not so much the man Jacob, but to Israel, the tribe. God regards Israel because he's going to give them his word. He's going to give them his word. He's going to teach them his word. And his regard is for his own name. Remember the old saying that used to be stated? A man is as good as his word. Well, that's basically what we can say about God. God is as good as his word. And God is not going to allow his word to fail because he recognized he is the only one who backs his word. Nothing else. It's him. Either he is a liar or he is a myth or he's true to his word. Now, would you turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 20, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and come on down a little bit and you'll hit Ezekiel right after Lamentations. I want you to go to chapter 20 because it's something that we need to catch on. When I start in verse 8, he says, but they rebelled, who rebelled, you got it, Israel, against me, and would not listen to me. What wouldn't they do? They wouldn't listen to God. Now, in order to listen, you have a God who has to be able to speak. You have to have God who is bringing messages to the people through the prophets, those who are speaking on behalf of God. But they wouldn't listen. And today, oh, we're living in a world where people will not listen. He says, but they rebelled against me and would not listen to me. They did not get rid of the vow images. We want to hold on to both worlds. We want the world that we want, and then we want the world that God wants. And you can't hold on to both. No man can serve two masters. He has to let one go and cling to one. He has to make a choice. And God brings us to that point of making that choice. Either me or nothing. God will not play second fiddle. And he says, that they would not get rid of their vow images they had set their eyes on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. They're still holding on to things that were of their forefathers. Man wants to worship. The question is who and what? And he'll worship more things that have no real meaning or depth. And God is saying, I want you to just fix your eyes on me alone. And man has a problem with just believing in one God. And 
he says, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. So I said, I would pour out my wrath on them and spend my anger against them in Egypt. But for the sake of my name, I did what would keep it from being profane. Turning my wrath upon them was not going to change them. And he says, I did that which would keep my name from being profane. Now, who would talk about God? Who would degrade God? Heathens? The unbeliever? He's the one who said that uh, he was God, but he can't even control his own folks. He can't even teach his own people. He's like a father who cannot raise his own children or have control of them or teach them. And people mock and make fun of that. And they talk about it in a disgraceful way. So I said I would pour out my wrath on them and spend my anger against them in Egypt. But for the sake of my name, I did what would keep it from being profane. In the eyes of the nations, they lived among the other nations around. God said, I wouldn't do it because of what the other nations would say about me. Not about what I did to Israel, but what they would say about me as being the God of Israel. And he goes on, he says, They lived among and in whose sight I had revealed myself to the Israelites by bringing them out of Egypt. Every nation knew what God had did. They knew that he destroyed the army of Egypt. He, they knew that he was the one that brought them out of captivity. He's the one who freed them. But now he can't control this mob, this rebellious people, this people who won't listen to him. And that's many of us today sometimes as Christians. We're rebellious and we will not listen to God's word or follow God's word. But God continues to work with us. That's what we learn in the Old Testament. Even though God had to send them into bondage, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, God still worked with them. He did not forsake them. You may be a Christian and you're in sin. God's going to work with you. God's going to work with you because he's going to prove that either you are his or you're a bastard and you're none of his. He's going to cause you to come to a place where you repent of those sins and you walk away from them, acknowledging them 
as sin. What a lot of people today do not want to do is to acknowledge a behavior as sin. And that's one of the things we have to deal with here today. People acknowledging sin. You cannot live in a covenant and think you will be a covenant keeper and you will not acknowledge sin. It will not work. It will not work. And he says, I have revealed myself to the Israelites by bringing them out of Egypt. Therefore, I led them out of Egypt and brought them into the desert. I gave them my decrees, made known to them my laws, for the man who obeys them will live by them. And I gave them my Sabbath as a sign between us, so they would know that I am the Lord, that I, the Lord, make them holy. That I, the Lord, is the one who makes them holy. Now, he uses this again and again. Look at verse 14. He says, But for the sake of my name, I did what would keep it from being profane in the eyes of the nations, in whose sight I had bought them out. They all knew. God repeats this over and over again. I did this for my namesake. I did this for my namesake. And go over to verse 43 and 44. Because we need to recognize that God continues to do that. He says, there you will remember your covenant and all the actions by which you have defiled yourself. In your rebellion. Go back into that verse 8 of Ezekiel 20. But they rebelled. He says, you're going to remember all your actions that you did. You will know that I am the Lord. When I deal what? When I deal with you. In verse 44. You will know what defiled you. You will know what caused your rebellion. He's going to educate you. Back in that verse 43. There you will remember your conduct and all the actions by which you have defiled yourself and you will and you will loth yourself for all the evil you have done. You will know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake. Why is he dealing with us? For his name's sake. And not according to your evil ways. Catch it. He says something. I'm going to deal with you differently than what you may expect. See, as a child, when we did something wrong, we, we, we knew most likely there's going to be a little spanking coming up. And uh, we knew there was going to be a punishment. But God says, yes, I'm going to deal with you. 
but not according to your evil. No, I'm not going to be like you. I'm not going to be an eye for an eye and two for two. I'm not going to be like you in a sense. I'm not going to be a vengeance seeker. But I will be a corrector. I will teach. I will correct. I will establish righteousness in your life. I will conform you to holiness. I will sanctify you. I will bring you to a place to acknowledge your sin. And he simply says, When I deal with you for my name's sake, and not according to your evil ways, and your corrupt practices, whole house of Israel declares the sovereign Lord. Now, God knows he is God alone. And no one else can really deal with us but him. And he is the God of Israel and all people. Even those who reject him, God is still dealing with them and trying to bring them to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is not his will that none would perish. It is not his will that not one man would spend one second in hell. That's not God's will. I know some would say that. I don't see that in Scripture. For hell was created for the devil and the demons, the fallen angels that follow him. Hell was not created for man. And God would not want man to spend one second in hell away from him. But if that's where your heart is bent on going and you want to sin and rebel totally against God, God loves you enough to let you go and still love you and still love you. And God is the one who brought Israel into being to be a light to all nations. Go to Isaiah 48 and we'll get ready to close with this. Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48. Because we want to see the intent that God had for Israel. That Israel again rebelled and would not be what God wanted them to be. And God's not going to force you to be what you don't want to be. He will teach you. But you again would have to say yes, Lord, to your will and to his ways. Because his ways are different than our ways. So when you pick up in verse 8 in Isaiah 48, he says, You have neither heard nor understood. From of old your ears have not been opened. Will do 
I know the treacherous you are. You were called a rebel from birth. For my own namesake, I delayed my wrath. For what purpose? His own namesake. He delayed his punishment or his wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you. So as not to cut you off. For the sake of my praise, God is showing his patience, his tolerance. God is revealing himself. And people praise him for his patience, his tolerance, his long-suffering with us. And we begin to praise him because we recognize how patient he's been, how long-suffering he's been with us, and the things that we've done to hurt him that bring about praise in our life to him. For my own namesake, in verse 9, I delayed my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you. So as not to cut you off. Once you're cut off, there's no praise. What is it that comes from the grave? Nothing. And he says, see, I have refined you, though not as silver. But he's done something in your life. I have refined you. I have tested you. He put you through the test. He put you through the trial. That you can see yourself. You can know yourself. When you take a test, it's not for the teacher's benefit. It's for your benefit, for that you can know what you really know. You need to know what do you know. And that's the purpose of the test. That you might see your faith. You might see your prayer life. You might see if you truly do believe. You might see if you are truly walking with the Lord. You might see if you really have hope in the Lord. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Not always will it be a comfortable situation. It may be a painful situation. But the test is to see where is your faith? What is your life really like? And then in verse 11 he says, For my own sake. Why? For my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. I'm going to work in your life and I'm going to get the glory for it. I'm going to work in your life and I'm going to get the praise for it. 
I'm going to work in your life and I'm going to get the thanks for it. I'm going to work in your life and you're going to bow down to me because at some point you're going to recognize who I really am and how important I am to you. And he says, I will not yield my glory to another. Not even to the one in whom he is working in. No man can boast of what he has done. He can only boast about what God has done in his life. He can only praise, not himself, but the God in whom he served. And he prays and worship and give thanks to. A true Christian really understands he is the Christian that he is only because of the work of God in our life. What is important to God is his word and that his word will not return to him void. But what he sent his word out to accomplish, that will be done. Father, we thank you again for giving us such a privilege of hearing your word. Would you make your word alive in our life? Would you help us to understand that, Lord, what is important is that your word because it is your word that is the covenant. It is your word that is keeping us. It is your word that is working in our life. It is the boundaries in which you yourself have set, God. It is your word working in us for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for having patience and understanding with us. Thank you, Lord. Now minister to us these words that we have heard from your word, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, I want us to say thank you. May God bless you and keep you until we see you again next week. God bless. Bye-bye.